Well, welcome to River City Church. Good to be with you guys again this morning. If you are new or visiting, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. As always, good to be with you guys as we start a brand new year together and open God's Word. Uh, we spent this fall studying uh, the books of First and Second Peter. And that's pretty characteristic of River City Church. Usually we just kind of take a book of the Bible and just go verse by verse through it. Because uh, what we want to make sure that we value is God's Word instead of what somebody else has to say. And so we always try to root everything that we have going on in God's Word. So that's pretty characteristic of, of what Sundays here are like. But as we begin uh, this new year, we wanted to take a few weeks um, just to center and remind ourselves about the, the mission and the vision of the church. Remind ourselves about what we're all about here at River City Church and about why that's the case and where we're headed and how we're getting there and what that looks like as we begin a new year together. And so uh, you hear us talk about it all the time. It's always in the announcements. It's, it's kind of saturated in a lot of what we do. But the vision of River City Church is growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. The vision is the destination. It's the where we're headed. It's the goal. It's what we want to see happen. We want to be a church that is growing in the gospel. We want to be a church that is making disciples. We want to be a church that is planting more churches so that more people can grow in the gospel and make disciples and plant more churches. And so the vision is where we're headed. It's what we want to see happen. The other thing you hear us talk about all the time is the mission. And so if the vision is growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches, and the mission is to establish and advance missional small groups in the Dubuque area. If the vision is where we're going, the mission is how we're getting there. The mission is the route we're taking. It's the methods we use to keep us headed towards the vision. Um, I work at a coffee shops a lot of time. One of my favorite coffee shops to work at is Charlotte's. There's a sweet little bench on the side. It's kind of like propped up. I can see everything, right? I have my spot, you know? It's like my work spot. There's a lot of ways you can get to Charlotte's from my house. You can take Asbury and head down there the back way, kind of by the University in Loris, and let's get the back way. You can take Dodge. My firm belief is that Asbury is the, is the fastest way to get downtown. You kind of snake around back there, right? I see others totally. Other people are also right. Good. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one, right? But just like there are a lot of ways you can uh, get downtown from my house, there are a lot of different ways that you could carry out the vision of growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. But the way that we feel like God has called us to do it as a church is not necessarily saying that it is the right way, but the way that we feel firmly committed that God's called us to do that is through establishing and advancing missional small groups. We feel that's the most effective, the most fruitful. It, it bears the fruit that we're looking for. We'll talk a lot more about small groups in the coming weeks, but the bottom line is that small groups are not just one of the ministries of River City Church. Small groups are central to the, to the living out of the vision of the church, to seeing, if we want to see the growing in the gospel, if we want to make disciples, if we want to plant churches, then we really firmly believe that missional small groups are at the heart of making that happen, of, the, of that process happening. That's why we want everybody to be a part of a small group, not just have it as one of the things you could be a part of. We see it as central. And the last key component of what we call our core documents here at River City Church are our core values and the doctrinal statement. And if the vision is where we're going and the mission is how we're getting there, then the core values and the doctrinal statement are kind of like the guardrails on the side of the road that keep you out of the ditches. 
They help influence the, the path that you take, and they help keep you on the straight and narrow, I guess. We'll talk, about, uh, a, lot, we'll talk a lot more about uh, some of these, what our core values are and some of the doctrinal things, but um, if you really want to learn more, come to the membership class. We'll really kind of do a, a, more of a deep dive on those things there. There's also a printout in the back on the table if you just want to know what those are. Um, but my heart as we study is that I'm, I want to show you how those core values and how those doctrinal things, how they are uh, like directly intertwined and linked with the vision and the mission of the church. And so we'll talk about some of those things as, as we go ahead. But over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to examine each of the three parts of the vision about growing the gospel, about making disciples, and about planting churches. And our heart, Aaron and I, as we seek to pray and plan and carefully figure out what we study on Sundays, my, our heart is, one, to help you understand what each of those parts of the vision means and what it looks like to live that out as a church, how we long to see that happen. But two, to show you where in Scripture those convictions come from. They're not just like, hey, things we think are cool. But those are things that we really feel that God's called us to as a church and called God's people to as a church. And lastly, our heart is that we want to be able to invite you guys into bringing about that mission and vision with us as a church. I want to invite you into that with us. It's not just like this head level thing that's like, hey, here's this vision, here's where we're headed. Cool. But we want to invite you into it, to be a part of it, to be actively seeking to bring about that. Our, Our heart is that we want our city to come to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. We want the people of Dubuque to love and serve Jesus as king. And so we feel as though God has sent us here for a time, a place, and a purpose. And so we want to invite you guys into that with us as we seek to reach our city for the sake of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's begin in prayer because Lord knows we are going to need it. Uh, I know I'm going to need it. And then we'll dive in as we begin talking about what it means to be a church that's growing in the gospel. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for you. Thank you so much for your word. God, and thanks for a new year. Thanks for a new year to begin uh, together, to start, to continue together, to begin in some ways. God, following you and pursuing you and loving our city and loving the people you have sent us to so that our city might increasingly come to know and love and follow and serve you, Jesus. God, we want to be your people. We want to increasingly look like your son, Jesus. And so we ask that, uh, that as we study your word this morning and every week, God, that you would, by the power of your spirit and through the power of your word, that you'd be increasingly transforming us into the image of your son, Jesus. God, as I preach, I don't have anything to offer unless you fill me with your spirit so that you might speak through me. And so, God, I just humbly ask that you would so that our time together would be fruitful and life-giving and good. God, and so we pray that you would help us to submit ourselves under the authority of your word as we seek to increasingly become more and more like you. God, for our good, for your glory, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, but before we dive into our passage, it's just really important to understand. uh, We began uh, the very first series we did here at River City Church about 18 months ago. We studied through the book of Ephesians, and if you remember the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul basically spends the first three chapters reminding them about the gospel. Reminding them about the truths about who Jesus is and all that he's done, about who they are in Christ, about their new identity as children of God. And so he spends three chapters reminding them about the gospel. And in chapter four, he begins to give them some instruction in light of all that teaching on the gospel. He begins to give them instruction in light of those truths. 
And so that's where we pick up the story here in Ephesians chapter 4. Again, Paul here, writing to the Ephesian church, he says this, in beginning in verse 11 of chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting limit grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. For you were taught with regards to your former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. We put, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. The Apostle Paul, he spent three chapters reminding the Ephesians about the transforming nature and power of the gospel, about their new identities in light of all that Jesus had done. And now he begins to give them instructions in light of this. And the first thing that we see Paul, the first instructions that he gives this young church is he says that God's given to the church leaders that's the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He's given to the church leaders. And the purpose of leaders is to train everyone up, is to equip everyone for ministry so that everyone, the body of Christ, will be built up and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, God gives leaders to the church to equip everyone for ministry so that everyone grows up to look more and more and more like Jesus. God gives leaders to the church to equip everyone so that everyone will grow spiritually, so that everyone will grow up to look more and more like Jesus. See, Christian maturity for the Apostle Paul and throughout the New Testament is defined by increasingly, ongoingly, looking more and more and more like Jesus. And what the New Testament writers are incredibly clear about is that it's not just about the outward appearance. It's not just about your behaviors that Jesus is trying to change or that maturity really looks like. Rather, it's about having the mind of Christ, about having his heart, about having his motivations, about having his desires, about having his attitudes. And just spoiler alert, that's not something you can just like try harder to get. You can't just like want it enough. And be like, oh yeah, I have Jesus' attitudes. I have his desires. I tried hard enough. I wanted it enough. No, you, you need a new heart put within you increasingly, ongoingly. You need a new heart. Verse 22 talks about this. It says, put off the old self. Put on the new self. It's not about just changing who you are. 
It's about becoming something altogether new. Put off the old self, Paul said, that's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Your, so your mind and your heart is where everything flows from. What we believe always changes our actions. In college, uh, I uh, was cheap, like every other college student is. And um, so instead of paying for a parking pass, I would just always park on the streets. And... Um, I didn't really believe I would get a ticket on those alternate side parking days. You know when the winter comes and you think, you know what, they can't get everywhere. They can't find all of the cars on all of the wrong sides of the road. Just, they can. And they did, pretty much every time for me. And a lot of the times I would just be like, nah, I don't really believe I'll get a ticket. And the next morning I'd walk out and I'd have a ticket sitting on my car. See, what you believe about what will happen changes what you do. I don't really believe I would get a ticket. And so a lot of times I would just park on the wrong side of the street and I'd get a ticket. You see, what you believe always changes what you do. So Paul says that the goal is for everyone to grow up spiritually. The goal is for everyone to increasingly, ongoing, look, look more and more and more like Jesus. And that the role of leaders then is to equip everyone for ministry so that everyone grows up to look more and more like Jesus. And so the question that that, like that whole discussion begs then is how? So how, how is everyone built up? How do we grow into Christian maturity? How do we look more and more like Jesus? How do leaders help that happen? And unfortunately, I think uh, there's a lot of wrong ways that Christians think that, that Christian maturity happens. And one is just if you get more knowledge, then you'll just be more like Jesus. If you just knew the Bible better, if you just knew more quiz answers on Bible trivia, if you just understood, if you just knew more, then you'd be more like Jesus. And um, the Pharisees had literally memorized every book of the Old Testament, like literally memorized all of it. Jesus calls them blind hypocrites. Knowledge was not the thing that was going to grow them up into spiritual maturity. A lot of times, too, we think that uh, if it's not knowledge, then it, if it's not knowing more, then maybe it's doing more. If I, if I would just start doing X, Y, or Z, if I would just start reading my Bible more, if I would just start praying more, if I would just start going to church more or giving more, or if I would just start whatever it is, whatever practice it is, if I would just start doing that thing, then I would grow up spiritually. That's, that's how you grow up spiritually. And don't get me wrong, uh, spiritual disciplines and those practices, they're not bad things. It's not bad to come to church like you're here, right? Those aren't bad things. The problem is, is that those things aren't going to grow us up spiritually. Those things aren't going to grow us up into maturity in Christ in and of themselves. The practices themselves, they won't grow us up into Christ. The only thing that grows us up to look more and more like Jesus is Jesus himself. Verse 16, from him the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. See, the practices are good. Spiritual disciplines are good. Serving is good. Giving generously is good. But those things aren't what grows us up. Jesus is. He has to be the point. He has to be the goal. The goal of our lives, the goal of our hearts, the goal of everything is to get to him, is to enjoy him, is to treasure him, is to love him. 
And so if it's not spiritual disciplines and it's not practices, it's not just knowing more than grows, that grows us up spiritually, then what is it? Verse 15, Paul tells us, he says, verse 15, by speaking the truth in love will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So what does that mean? A lot of times people think that speaking the truth in love just means like saying hard things to somebody, but just saying it nicely. It's like, Dustin, you have terrible B.O. Love you, brother. Like, just had to say it. Sorry, right? If you live in the South, you can pretty much say anything about anybody as long as you say, God love them. Like, man, they are a terrible human being. God love them, right? That's not what it means. That's not what it means to, to speak the truth in love. Sometimes I wish that's what it meant. But that's not what it means. No, to speak the truth in love literally means to speak Jesus to people, to speak the truth, to speak the truths about the gospel to people. Verse 21, go ahead, Paul says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You see, the way that we grow spiritually, the way that we grow up to look more and more like Jesus is by increasingly believing and applying the truths of the gospel into our lives as we speak the truths of the gospel to one another. That sounds simple enough, right? Just like tell each other about Jesus. That'll be good. Why isn't everyone grown up then? Why isn't everyone just like beacons of spiritual maturity yet? (laughs) Why do I still have so much growth to do myself? That's because speaking the truth of the gospel is not like a magic wand that you wave and poof, everything is different. Speaking the truths of the gospel into one another's lives is like a battle. It's like a war. A lot of times it actually feels like trench warfare. Because you're you're not just fighting something in your head. We're fighting spiritual battles of the heart. And the weapon that's most effective against the heart is lies. Satan is called the father of lies, the deceitful one. The passage we read is full of conflict. It's full of this this tension between what is true and what is a lie. Paul says there are people and they're stuck in their futile thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're blown about by scheming and their deceitful desires. They're being led astray by their corrupted, deceitful desires. And it's into that battle, the battle of the heart, the battle for what is true, the battle for what we'll believe every day, that the gospel and the truth about who Jesus is is the weapon that we need. See, what happens is we believe lies all the time. We believe lies about who God is. We believe lies about who we are. We believe lies about what will truly satisfy, about what will really give life. And what we believe always changes what we do. Which is why at the root of growing up in Christ is not about changing our outward actions or appearances. It's about changing the heart. Everything flows from that. It's like when you treat a sickness, right? A doctor, you can treat symptoms. Treating symptoms is pretty easy to do. But treating the disease is much harder. That's why at River City, one of our core values is the heart. We believe that ministry should focus on the heart, which is the foundational place from which all meaningful and lasting transformation stems from. Man, what I long for every week as I open God's word for you, as we study God's word as communities and small groups, my heart is that the gospel might change your hearts. That the good news about who Jesus is and all he's done would reorient 
at a heart level, your passions and your desires and your attitudes and your actions and your behaviors and what you long for. You see, the way that you change the heart is by proclaiming the good news of the gospel over and over and over and over. That's why the very first part of our vision is that we would be a church that is growing in the gospel because there is no growing without the gospel. There is no growing without the gospel. And if we are to grow up, we want to grow up in that. One of our core values, the very first core value, is to be gospel-centered. At River City, we believe that the gospel should be central to everything we believe and do, whether that's our preaching or our teaching or our discipleship or our philosophy of ministry or our strategy for mission, as well as our understanding of Scripture and our formation of our worldview. Everything is about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. He is the one that transforms. He is the one that renews. It's his gospel that we cling to. Only one thing can be of first importance, and only the gospel should be. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I would remind you, brothers, about the gospel I preach to you, which is of first importance. The gospel isn't the only thing that matters but it is the thing that matters most. That the root of growing in the gospel is increasingly understanding and living in light of the gospel being at the center of every part of our faith and of our lives. It's like the hub of the wheel that connects to every part of who we are. I think a lot of times Christians think that the gospel is like the first, the first rock you use when you build your spiritual house. It's really important. You got to get it right. But after you build it, you just kind of, you don't really think about it that much. Man, at River City, like, we see the gospel as the thing that we got to keep looking at every single day. It's the thing that connects to everything. It is the thing of first importance. You see, the gospel is central. It's central to our salvation. It's central to us becoming followers of Jesus. But the gospel is also central to our sanctification, to our growing up in Christ. And the gospel is central as well to our glorification, to our internal enjoyment of Jesus in the end. The gospel is central to everything in the Christian life. Jeff Vanderstelt talks about how the gospel is a, a new, like a new language that we have as Christians. It's our new language. And so as Christians, we must learn to become fluent in the gospel. You'll hear me talk about the idea of becoming a gospel-fluent people all the time. That's not something I created up with. That's just an idea I stole from him. But man, that's what I long for for us as a people, that we would learn how to speak the truths of the gospel into each other's lives, that we'd have the language to know how to do that, to apply it to our lives. Too often I think we think that evangelism is, is, evangelism is what we do before people are Christians and discipleship is what we do after people are Christians and that those two things are totally unrelated. But if we want to be a church that is growing up spiritually, if we want to be a church that is growing in the gospel, then we are going to need to see that we're going to need to do evangelism all the time. See, evangelism is the proclamation of the good news about the gospel. And all of us need the good news about the gospel proclaimed to us every day. There isn't a day where you wake up and you, you're not going to need the good news of the gospel preached into your heart. 
I hope one of the things that you see in me is that the gospel is increasingly and ongoingly becoming good news to me every day. As I teach God's words to you, I hope what you see is that the good news about the gospel is changing me. It's good news to me. It's what I long for. It's what I'm hungry for. Gospel is like a diamond with a million facets. And the great joy of following Jesus is that for the rest of our lives, we'll get to spend that time spinning that diamond around, enjoying all of the facets and marveling at its beauty. And the good news is that if we believe that the gospel is what we need to grow up, then we'll be doing discipleship and evangelism training at the same time. Because what you need is the good news of the gospel applied to every part of your life. And what you and your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers that don't know Jesus yet, what they need is the truths of the gospel proclaimed into every part of their lives as well. You see, we need the light of the gospel to shine in our lives. And when the light of the gospel shines, it does two things. The passage says, one, it reveals the lies that we have been believing. Verse 22, Paul talks about how we are led astray by our deceitful desires. Verse 19, we give ourselves over to sensuality and impurity and greed because we think those things will satisfy. We think that those things will give life and joy. We think that they'll give the thing that we're looking for, but they never can and they never will. The problem is you don't know something is a lie until the light is shined on it. It's like the best example I can think of is like online dating, right? Man, there are just so many horror stories, right? Of there's this awesome profile picture, and then when you go to meet him, it actually turns out to be like this nice, upstanding dude turns out to be like a 40-year-old man-child who's living in his mother's basement and like drinking sweet tea for the rest of his life or something like that. It's not what you thought it would be. And it's only when you see the, the truth about it that you're like, that's, that's, not, what, that's not what it said it was. Those don't match. It's, that's not actually what I want. I thought I wanted that, but that's, that's, not what it, that's not what it really is. What happens is that when we, the truths about the gospel shine into, the, into our lives, that it reveals the lies that we're believing that we don't know our lies. But it does something else too. It shines light on the incredible goodness and glory of Jesus so that we'll run after him instead of running towards sin. We'll see all of his goodness and all of his glory. We'll long for him more and more and more. When the gospel is proclaimed into your heart over and over and over, it reveals the worthlessness of the lies of sin and the endless joys of pursuing Jesus. And so we see he, we see him for who he is and for all that he's done. And what it causes in us is a longing to follow him. Now, all of that, I think, so far has just kind of hopefully been like a, at like the head level, right? But I want to bring it down to like the, on the ground. It's been the 30,000-foot view, and I want to bring it down into the ground. I just want to share a few stories with you about what, what it looks like for us to be a people that is growing in the gospel. Some of these stories you may have heard before. Some are new. Um, my heart is that what you'll see is that the gospel is the thing that transforms us. And if we want to be growing up spiritually, then the gospel is the thing that we have to do that. Before I was a pastor on staff at River City, I worked for an organization called InterVarsity, and it's a campus college group. And one of the um, one summer at the end of the school year, we'd always take students to a leadership retreat. And and um, while we're at a leadership retreat, we're we're teaching our students about what what it looks like 
to apply the gospel to their own lives, how they can see the gospel as good news to them. And, and so we were teaching uh, our students about this, how to see the, the gospel as the center of their stories. And, and, and so we were talking with the students about how the gospel could be good news to them. How it's good news, not just in general, but how it's good news to them. And uh, there was one, one student, and I remember her talking about, after a long conversation, we were talking about where her need for the gospel fits in. She said, I've always found my value and my identity and worth in what other people think about me. I've been a people pleaser since I was five years old. As we talked more about that, she just shared about like how that's caused her to do things and to say things that she would never otherwise do. She's compromised her values or her ethics. She's changed who she spends time with and how she spends time and what she does. She says that it's changed how she spends her money and all that she's, uh, she, the things that she cares about and the things that she, she pursues. And the problem is that when you live for the approval of people, there's always one more person that needs pleasing. There's always one more person that's gonna, that, that, need, that you're going to need the approval of, and there's this constant weight of needing the approval of others. So she's sharing this with me, and like, it's obviously hard because like, she's realizing these truths about what's going on in her own heart. And So I asked her, I just said, how do you think the gospel is good news to you in light of that? And she's like in tears. She's like, I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how it's good news. And like, that's just normal, right? Because I think we've been trained that like, the gospel is just the thing that saves us, but it's not the thing that just ongoingly keeps saving us every day. And what she needed to be reminded of Said because she was a follower of Jesus, her identity and value and worth comes from Jesus' performance and not from hers. Because of the gospel and because she chose to put her faith in the person and work of Jesus, that Jesus' perfectly lived life was traded with hers. That he died the death that she should have died. That he traded places with her on the cross. That she's now found in Jesus. That God the Father is so completely satisfied with Jesus. And because her life is wrapped up in him and found in him, that she is totally loved and perfectly pleased with and absolutely approved of. And it's not because of anything that she has done, but because of everything that Jesus has done on her behalf. She has the approval of the only one that matters, the king and the creator of the universe, so that he is fully pleased with her, that he is fully satisfied with her, not based on what she has done, but based on what Jesus has done. And that day for her began kind of a journey. It wasn't an instant change. It wasn't this like, oh, bam, I'm just a new person right away. But increasingly, ongoingly, her friends be, learned how to speak the truth of the gospel into her heart. And when she was tempted to live for the approval of others, her friends would keep reminding her, the king of the universe approves of you already. You don't need to live for the approval of anyone else. See, the gospel was at work in freeing her. One of the things that just most clearly started to come out in her life over the course of the next year or so, was that she started to actually be able to serve people because she wasn't constantly needing something from them. She always needed the approval of people. And when you need the approval of people, like you can't, you can't actually love people and you can't actually serve them because you, you, you need something from them. You're just trying to manipulate them. But when you, your approval is rooted in the identity that you have in Jesus, that frees you up to love and serve people. Because you have to like sacrificially care about people 
It frees you up to like actually be concerned about someone else's good and not your own good. For her whole life, she had believed that the lie that it mattered most what someone else thought besides Jesus, and it was just crippling her. But the gospel was beginning to break in to her heart and her life. And for her, it's, it's been a battle. It's not been like this snap and things are different. It's been an ongoing journey of believing that truth over and over and over and over again. Being reminded of that truth over and over and over and over again. It was a battle that began that day for her. It wasn't over in an instant, but she actually had the weapon she needed to fight the battle now. She had the power of the gospel. Likewise, I think about my friend Steve. Steve is uh, somebody who is fiercely independent and self-sufficient. A lot of that comes from his background. Growing up, his, uh, his parents were just people he could never rely on. He could never trust them for, for anything, really. He was the one who had to be in charge of everything. If he wanted something done, he'd have to take care of it himself. He'd have to do it himself. And so what that's produced in my friend Steve is just like this fierce self-sufficiency and this fierce independence. He can't really receive help from other people. He can't really like ask for help. He's, he, he must do everything on his own. And you see that starting to seep into the way that he relates to his kids. And you see that sense of you can't rely on other people. You can't trust other people. You must do it yourself. And Steve is a great guy. He is a really good friend. He is incredibly generous. He has a kind heart. He, he's a good guy. But Steve is ruled. He is ruled by the need to be in control of his own life. He is ruled by the need to have the authority over what will happen in his own life, to, to make sure that he can trust himself so that what will happen in his life, he brings it about. So he's not a Christian yet. And the good news about the gospel that I've been praying that would break into his heart is that the gospel says that we actually get to acknowledge our need for Jesus, that we get to acknowledge our need for help, that we get to acknowledge our need to, like the fact that we're not in control and that we shouldn't be and that we need someone who's actually good to be in control. My heart is that my friend Steve would see that Jesus is not just in control and that he's not just good but that he's absolutely faithful and worth trusting to be in control. See, in Steve's life, everyone that he's ever trusted to be in control of something has let him down. And the good news about the gospel is that Jesus was willing to lay down his own life to show that he would go to any lengths, that we could trust him to be in control. My friend Steve needs the good news about the gospel. He doesn't realize it yet, but he is enslaved to control. And it's crippling his life, and it's going to damage his relationship with his kids and his marriage, and it's going to, like, that stuff will implode on itself. And he needs the good news about the gospel to free him from that so that he might see that Jesus is good and that Jesus is in control and that he can be trusted. And me. For me, I'm tempted all the time to worship power to want to be seen as the one who knows the most, to want to be seen as the one who should be trusted, to want my advice and my input to be the thing that's valued and to be the thing that's received by people and to be the things that people look up to. 
And what happens when I give advice or I, or I give uh, instruction, especially in areas that I'm an expert in or in areas that I have skill or knowledge in, and that's not, that's not taken, it's not received, I just feel just like cardinally sinned against. <laughs> I just feel like, how could you possibly ignore what I said? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know what I know? And saying that out loud, it's kind of like, wow, you kind of sound like a crazy person, right? And I realize that, right? And I don't say any of that stuff out loud, but what's going on in my heart, that's exactly what's happening in my heart. I want people to think that my opinion matters the most, and what I have to say is the most important and the most valuable and should never be disregarded. But the only one whose opinion is most important and should be valued and never disregarded. It's not mine. It's just Jesus. What's going on in my heart is that I want to be God. I want to be the one who is in charge. I want to be the one who determines what is good and what is right and what is best. The good news about the gospel is that Jesus died for me when I wanted to be God and I when I rejected that he is. See, the good news about the gospel is that it wasn't when I realized that that was the case when Jesus decided to give himself for me. It was in the midst of my shaking my fist at him. You see, the gospel is the thing that empowers our longing to be like Jesus, and it empowers our actual ability to live like him. I want my friend Josie to be free of living for the approval of other people. I want her instead to live in light of the good news that she is approved of and loved by the king. And I want that to free her in such a way that she gets to live for Jesus and serve others. I want her to be free of that. I want my friend Steve to be free of being consumed by control. I want him to enjoy the freedom that comes with letting Jesus be in control and giving your life over to him. I want the good news of the gospel to change how he parents, to change how he relates to his wife. I want the good news of the gospel to change who he is. And I need the good news about the gospel to keep changing me. I need the good news about the gospel to keep reorienting my heart so that what I long for the most is that Jesus would be king, not me. Without the gospel, it's easy to just feel guilty about living for the approval of others or being a slave to control, or being like just living for yourself and wanting yourself to be the king. But the gospel moves past guilt and instead brings godly conviction, which brings about repentance and life. I can't tell you how grateful I am for the people of this church who have begun learning to speak the truth about the gospel back into my heart. My friend Caitlin uh, was going to share a story this morning. She'll share her story next week. It's just, inc- it's just really good about how the gospel's been at work in transforming her heart. But as I sat down with her, like the, the stuff I, would, I just shared with you about my own heart, I figured that stuff out in a meeting I had with Caitlin when she was talking about stuff, that, like the ways that the gospel's becoming good news to her because she struggles with power and she struggles with control. She'll share that with you next week. And as she was like as she was remembering how the gospel was good news to her heart, how it freed her from power and control. I was like that that's that's what my heart needs to hear. Because that's the same stuff I long for and I've been blind to it for a long time. God was graciously 
convicting my heart through my friend so that I would see the deceitful schemes of my own heart. The good news about the gospel might shine so I would see that. It would also remind me about like shining the good news on the light of Jesus so that I would turn to him and be like, Jesus, you're so good. Jesus, that you would love me even when I ran from you. That you would love me when I pursue everything myself. That you'd love me when I, when I oppose you. As we seek to be a church that is growing in the gospel, and we've got to understand that the role of leaders is not to do ministry for everyone, but the role of leaders in the church is to equip everyone for ministry. I see my job as to equip every one of you to be ministers of the gospel. That's my job. It's to teach and to train and to empower and to equip you guys to be people who love the gospel and who, and who live it out and, and who learn how to speak it and apply it into your own lives, into your friends' lives, into people that don't know Jesus, into their lives as well. That means I've got to keep getting better at doing that. So I might serve you guys well so that we as a body might increasingly grow up to become more and more like Jesus. See, to become gospel fluent is a process. You don't learn a, lang- you don't learn a language in a night. You need the vocabulary, and that just takes time and experience and being in situations. I've uh, literally been, I have an Evernote note that I just write down all the stories of the ways I'm learning to apply the gospel. I call it my gospel fluency vocab list. And every time I hear a story about the ways that the truths about the gospel apply to somebody's life, I write it down. And oftentimes what I go back through is I just go back through and read those. I find myself just like enjoying the gospel. And I find myself in moments where I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I don't, I mean, that's really good news for somebody. I mean, it's not like, that's awesome, but it doesn't really hit me here. A lot of times I'll find I'll go back and the truths about the gospel that I didn't think were that great. In a month or a year, I go back and I, I marvel at them. Because we're always going to need the gospel. So my heart is to equip all of us that we might be able to speak the truths about the gospel because the truth is that to be a church that's growing in the gospel, everyone has got to be learning to speak the truths about the gospel. Everyone in the body of Christ needs to learn how to speak the truths of the gospel into every area of life because that's how we all grow up into maturity in Christ. I can't be the only one that's doing that. That'll never work. We need all of us to learn how to do that together in your own way, in your own style, with your own background and your personality. I need you just as much as you need me. I am not the most important part of this church body. Jesus is, and everyone else is equally second. Secondly, if we're going to be a church that's growing in the gospel, that's, it's, it's a culture thing, not a curriculum thing. There are some really helpful resources. I would just strongly encourage you to read a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. I think it's one of the most helpful resources in learning to think about applying the truths about the gospel into the everyday stuff of our lives. A bunch of the women in our small group this past fall read through that. They thought it was really good. Um, and I would just, I can't more highly recommend a resource. But it's a long haul approach. It's an everyday being committed to seeing the gospel as central and learning to apply the truths about the gospel into every area of life. So as we close, let me just give us these next steps as we seek to be church that's growing in the gospel. One, as I preach, always look for the gospel. Whenever I open, whenever we open God's word together, always look for Jesus. 
always look for the truths about his transforming work and how that frees you, how it empowers you, how it changes your heart and your nature and your desires and your motives and everything about who you are. Secondly, get plugged into a small group. The best place to build relationships and to learn to apply the truths about the gospel is in a small group. This is a monologue. We need dialogue if we're going to actually like grow together. And that happens in small groups. One of the core values of River City Church, the third one I've mentioned this morning, is relationships and biblical community. See, at River City, we believe that ministry is all about relationships. Transformation happens in the context of community. You cannot do it on your own. We were designed for community. And the good news is that the church is designed so that we would be a community who lives and serves Jesus. Lastly, as we close, pray. I would just say most importantly, not lastly, most importantly, pray. Ask that the Spirit of God would show you how the gospel applies to your own heart and life every day. Ask, you that, ask the Spirit of God that he would show you the lies that you are believing. And ask the Spirit of God that he would empower others in the community to speak the truths about the gospel into your heart and to help you believe the truth about who Jesus is and all that he's done. The vision is that we would be a church that is growing in the gospel, which means we would increasingly, ongoingly see that the gospel is central to everything and learn to believe and apply the truths about the gospel into every area of our lives so that all of us, everyone, would grow up increasingly to look more and more like Jesus. To that end, let's pray. God, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for your word. God, and most of all, we are so thankful for the gospel. Thanks that you would come to save us from ourselves, that you would come to save us from our sinful rebellion against you. Thanks that you would come to die for us, not when we realized that we were enemies of yours, but when we were just, just blindly ignorant to it. God, we are so grateful for your redeeming love. We ask that you would empower us to understand it and to live in light of it and to like just root it deeply into our hearts every day. We pray that our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, that you'd give us eyes to see how the gospel is good news to them. That you'd learn to help us, you'd help us to learn how to keep speaking the truths about the gospel into a way, into our friends' lives in a way that they can hear, into a way that sounds like good news to them. We pray that you would help one another help each of us to learn to speak the truths about the gospel into each of our lives so that all of us would grow up to look more and more like you, Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We need you. We pray that you would make us a church that is characterized by growing in the gospel. Amen.